righty then. Rise up! What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? I must know. Rise up, Rise up Radio. Radio. Okay, uh, good evening, uh, America, and welcome aboard. Rise up, Radio! With John, John Bush. Bush. I'm a man of respect around here. They love me around here. I'm a swell guy. Rise up! If he gets up, we'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. Rise up, Radio. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good morning and welcome to the Rise Up Radio Show, July 4th edition. Good morning, Vietnam! That's my Robin Williams impression. You're tuned into the Rise Up Show, bringing in the news, views, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and sustainable life. Thanks for tuning in. we got a great show lined up for you today. Here in this first segment, we're going to be going over some of the status history of the United States of America and shining a new light on the Revolutionary War and the founding of this so-called republic. Coming up in the second, third, and fourth segment, we're going to be joined by Kurt Hildebrand. He's the chair of the Hayes County Libertarian Party. And we're going to have a little friendly debate slash discourse on the subject of no taxes versus low taxes. This was a full-fledged debate that was carried forth by uh, the Texas Libertarian Party, and uh, they held a debate in Waco. I was supposed to be in attendance, uh, however, I was at home helping the family. Uh, the wifey was sick, and I stayed home with the kiddos. And uh, it was a great turnout, sounded like a great debate. So we're going to rehash some of the finer points here on the program and uh, I'll have an opportunity to, to throw my two cents in there. Nathan Clefman filled in for me, and, and he did a great job presenting the philosophy of voluntarism and, and the idea that taxation is theft. So we'll be getting into that uh, coming up in the second segment. This is the Rise Up Radio Show. Visit riseupradio.com for the show's previous podcasts. Tomorrow we're going to be joined uh, by a young lady who uh, is facing some problems from her, the city that she lives in. She's in Missouri, and uh, she's actually has some tire gardens in her front yard. Oh my God, how dare she! And she's facing jail time or fine, a possible fine. She's refusing to uh, to move the tires, and uh, she's standing up and she's using some great libertarian voluntarist talking points in her uh, uh, interviews with the man and with the local media. So we're going to be chatting with her tomorrow about why she's standing up against them and uh, what that's all about. But first, let's chat about July 4th. Today is Independence Day, and the day where the quote-unquote founding fathers allegedly signed the Declaration of Independence. I think it was actually signed on July 3rd, however. But I want to point out that a lot of people talk about restoring the Constitution or returning back to the glory days of the United States of America. There's a lot of conservatives, constitutionalists, and libertarians that want to return to some glory time period within the United States of America. But I got news for you. If you're a genuine supporter of liberty, individual liberty or collective liberation, or the idea that individuals ought to live free according to their own ends as long as they don't interfere with others' right to do the same, then there wasn't much freedom. There hasn't been much freedom in this country from the get-go. Even back in the day, there was so much coercion going on. If you take it all the way back to the roots of where this country was founded, maybe it'll be a little illustrative of where we are today. This country was founded 
through a series of geographic monopolies which empowered an arbitrary ruler and authority, a governor, to take control over the resources and the people that existed within a geographic area. With the Virginia Company, the East India Company, they sent over corporations chartered by the British Crown, and they instantly came to the states, the United States, the Americas, and planted and plopped down a geographic monopoly on the legitimate use of violence and coercion. My daughter likes to watch Pocahontas, and there's a wonderful scene there where uh, John says that, oh, you know, the Indians aren't so bad. And the governor at the time, who had the geographic monopoly given to him by the British Crown, says, oh, well, I'm going to make a law that says if you are friendly with the Indians, you'll be hung. It's treason. And he can just arbitrarily make a law like that. Really, the thing, the only things that are shifted since then is that there's an illusion of democracy that the people are participating. Let's talk about the American Revolution, the American Revolutionary War, which everyone says is a great libertarian revolution. Well, there's this wonderful article, and I tapped on this a little bit while I was at Porkfest. There's a wonderful article I came across in a book, I Must Speak Out, The Best of the Voluntarists, 1982-1989. It's by Carl Watner. It's from the Voluntarist Journal. It's called The Plague on Both of Your Houses, and he talks about whether the Declaration of Independence, the signing of the of the Declaration of Independence, the American Revolution, whether it was really a libertarian revolution. And of course, he points out that it was really switching one boss, you know, out with the old boss, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. It was that kind of scenario. The, the folks that instituted the revolution weren't necessarily looking to create a genuinely free society. Rather, they were trying to take control of the reins of power for themselves out of the hands of the British crown. Not to say that if we are to have some sort of authority, it should be as closer to the people as possible. Uh, but nonetheless, it was not libertarian. In fact, it was so unlibertarian that the pacifist Quakers who refused to participate because they're pacifist out of religious reasons were forced to participate in many instances. In fact, some of them were imprisoned. In prison, the Quakers were particularly hard hit by the laws compelling military service and the swearing of tests of oaths. In Rhode Island, some of the Quakers were uh, rounded up and put in cages. Now, how's that for, for libertarian revolution, forcing people to participate? On top of that, they raised the money for the revolution through Continentals. The plan of the Continental Paper was to put it in the power of the Continental Congress to make such expenditures as they saw fit for the common cause without asking the previous consent of the states and to bind the states to meet those expenditures by taxation, which would retire and destroy the notes. So they pumped out millions and millions and millions of Continentals Without the people's consent, they instituted legal tender laws and forced everyone to pay for the revolution, even if they didn't want to participate in it. Even if they did want to participate in it, they were now uh, in debt. And that's what later happened with Shays' Rebellion. They were starting to come and snatch up people's farms, the revolutionary war heroes that couldn't afford to pay. If that wasn't enough, the delegates to the First Continental Congress and Second Continental Congress were selected entirely arbitrarily. In fact, in Kings County, New York, there were two people that assembled to choose who would be part of the Continental Congress. First of which was the one who unanimously voted for himself. The second guy uh, was the clerk who recorded that the first guy voted for himself. So a lot of these were chosen arbitrarily. And, man, anybody that got in the way, they just locked him up. You couldn't speak out against it either. And here's the, the kicker of it all. This is the hard part. Uh, this is from the, the article. The Continental Congress had reason to be concerned about the Tories, particularly in the areas around New York. In November 1775, the freeholders of Queens County declared their neutrality in the war and armed their own self-defense. The Continental Congress resolved to smash this resistance and in January 1776 sent 1,200 soldiers to Queens County. 
Continental troops declared the entire county in a virtual state of outlawry and announced that no inhabitant was to leave the country without a passport issued by the New York Committee of Safety. So there you have a county that says, you know what, we don't want to participate in this. We're going to remain neutral, which sounds to be fair enough if this was genuinely trying to set up a free society in Queens County. They said, we're going to arm ourselves and we're going to defend ourselves from anybody that wants to aggress upon our people and our community. The Continental Congress would not have anything to do with it. So they sent in 1,200 soldiers to institute martial law in Queens County and then said that people in Queens County couldn't leave unless they got permission from the arbitrary New York Committee of Safety. Now, how's that for individual liberty? And then you read the Declaration of Independence. It sounds glorious. My favorite part, of course, is... Uh, that uh, whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute, institute new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its power in such form as them shall see most likely to affect their safety and happiness. But then you go down towards the bottom after it lays out all the abuses of King George, and it says, A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Well, the question naturally rises, why do free people need rulers? I don't feel that I need a ruler, but those quote-unquote founding fathers some 250 plus years ago seemed to think that everyone needed a ruler. They went on to sign the Constitution. Less than 10% of the people that existed in society had a say in it. 90% of the people had a government impressed upon them. So when you look back at history with a critical eye, you'll see that the American Revolution, the Declaration of Independence, and even the Constitution wasn't the libertarian revolution it's been made out to be. This is the Rise Up Radio Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Liberty Beat, your daily source for liberty news and activist updates. Online at thelibertybeat.com. John Bush here with your Liberty Beat for July 4th, 2013. Gold opened today at $1,250, silver at $19.54, and Bitcoin is trading at $80. Support for the Liberty Beat comes from Cabo Bob's, the first high-fructose corn syrup-free quick-serve restaurant in the country, serving Baja California-style burritos and non-GMO corn tortillas and chips. In Austin at 500 East Ben White Boulevard or by phone at 512-432-1111. And now the news. The Egyptian president, Mohamed Morsi, has been ousted from office by an apparent military coup. This comes after his refusal to act on a 48-hour ultimatum issued by the military calling on his regime to address the concerns of the Egyptian people. Until a new president can be elected, the Egyptian military has suspended the Egyptian constitution, the chief justice of the Supreme Court has been given presidential powers, and a technocratic government is being developed. Libertarians across the globe are concerned the latest turn of events will be much like the Egyptian revolution in 2011, where one set of rulers was merely replaced with another. The Liberty Beat will keep you up to date as this story unfolds. An off-duty Austin police officer shot and killed a dog inside a pet store Wednesday night. Police told KVU News the officer was working security at the Petco store near Lakeline Mall. They say someone brought a pit bull into the store around 7.20 p.m. It then got loose and attacked a Maltapoo. After trying to separate the animals, the police officer opened fire, killing the dog. (music) 
It seems Adam Kokesh's armed march on Washington, D.C. took place after all and was deemed a success by Adam himself. Readers and listeners of the Liberty Bee will recall that Adam called off the march on Washington, D.C. after being arrested at a Philadelphia marijuana rally, only to replace it with rallies to take place at all 50 of the nation's Capitol buildings. In a surprise move, Adam Kokesh released a video earlier today of himself loading and cocking a shotgun at Freedom Plaza in Washington, D.C. Kokesh appears alone in the 23-second video and has this to say at the end. We are the final American revolution. See you next Independence Day. It remains to be seen if Kokesh will have charges filed against him as his YouTube video is apparent evidence of him engaging in felonious activity. Visit thelibertybeat.com for breaking updates. Support for the Liberty Beat comes from Beeler Education, providing admissions advice and homeschooling consulting for your family's educational needs. Information at beelered.com or call 512-785-3767. And from Capital City Automotive, online at capitalcityautoaustin.com. This is the Liberty Beat for July 4th, 2013. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibertybeat. Last month, when the FBI was pursuing leads on rice and lace letters sent to Obama, it was revealed that the Postal Service maintains a program allowing them to retrace the path of mail at the request of law enforcement. The Mail and Isolation Control and Tracking Program was created after the anthrax attacks in late 2001 that killed five people. The program collects information from the outside of your mail, including names, addresses, return addresses, and postmark locations in the hopes of providing the government and law enforcement with a map of your contacts. Agencies known to be taking advantage of the so-called metadata on mail include the Justice Department, the IRS, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and the Department of Health and Human Services. Nathan Fuller of the Bradley Manning Network has reported that the government has rested its case against Army Private Bradley Manning. Prosecutor Major Ashton Fine stated that the government submitted all of its evidence and the defense will now begin presenting their case on Monday, July 8th at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. The announcement came on the heels of a two-and-a-half-hour closed session regarding the value of classified information to foreign intelligence services. Manning and his team of lawyers are currently fighting to disprove allegations of aiding the enemy. Support for the Liberty Beat comes from Central Texas Gunworks, CHL courses, self-defense training, and firearm sales, online at centraltexasgunworks.com. And from tomorrow's meals today, South Austin Market Days, every Saturday at 10106 Manchac Road, online at tomorrowsmealstoday.com. Thanks for listening to the Liberty Beat. Be sure you check us out at thelibertybeat.com. Remember to live free and question everything. Rise Up Radio, exploring the revolutionary ideas of self-ownership, voluntary exchange, and non-aggression. Radio. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the Rise Up Radio show, bringing you the news, views, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and sustainable life. I just wanted to send this message out, blast it out via the radio uh, posted it on uh, my Facebook and also on SovereignLiving.tv, but it's a, a message to the Egyptian protesters, which is uh, is very pertinent today, being Independence Day, when the American Revolution took place or started off with the signing of the Declaration of Independence, which is apparently was July 3rd. 
But I want to send this message to Egyptian protesters. Give self-governance a try. It is likely that the next ruler will be just like the rest of them. It may take a while, but as Lord Acton said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You may not be able to have total liberty all across the country, but at least take a couple million of you and create a sustainable and autonomous region or two. What better opportunity than now do you have a chance to, at experimenting with a radical new way to organize society? Give mutually beneficial voluntary association a try and abandon the old way of coercion, hierarchy, and despair. If democracy is what you desire, explore direct democracy where the individual chooses if he or she wishes to participate. You may not get another shot at it in a while. Why not try something new? We'll be watching. Good luck. Peace and freedom for all. So it looks like like the American Revolution, the Egyptian people and their revolutions are simply changing one ruler for another. And as they were disappointed with Morsi, I feel that they'll just soon be disappointed with the next ruler. Because most rulers are just about the same. And it's important for people to experiment with self-governance. Sometimes it's difficult to be free in an unfree world. But as I said, what better opportunity will the Egyptian people have than now? And now, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to chat with Kurt Hildebrand. He's the chair of the Hayes County Libertarian Party, and just recently he had the opportunity to participate in a debate, No Taxes versus Low Taxes. This took place in Waco. It was put on by the Texas Libertarian Party. I think it was put on by the Travis County Libertarian Party. Um, uh, Carolyn Gorman was one of the main organizers. I was supposed to be participating in that debate on the No Taxes side, however, my wife was sick with a stomach virus, which I soon got a couple days later, uh, but doing much better now. So we wanted to rehash some of the finer points on the no tax versus low tax. Kurt is a supporter of the fair tax, uh, which is like a national sales tax, a, a tax on consum consumption essentially. But I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself. Uh, Kurt, if you'll just tell us how you got involved in Liberty real quick. Uh, give us your, your background, and then let us know why you're a supporter of the fair tax, and we'll take it from there. Kurt, how you doing? I'm doing well, John. Thanks a lot for having me on. Great opportunity. Um, yeah, uh, so, you know, I got involved with the Libertarian Party um, really just recently. I became the chair of Hayes County, working on getting the organization, uh, you know, really built up here uh, within the county and, and really excited to uh, to be within the party now. Coming from a different background, not really very political, politically active um, prior to the last couple of presidential election cycles. And I guess you guys could probably guess, uh, you know, how I got involved um, in 2008 and 2012. But at any rate, uh, with regard to the taxation question, you know, I think the low tax versus no tax, the way that the, the title of the debate was framed was a little, a little bit misleading. It was really a conversation, a, a kind of a broad conversation. Um, about methods and levels of tax reform, kind of going all the way to, I think, the position that you hold, John, which is that the best way to reform taxes would be to, you know, eliminate them altogether or, or abolish them altogether. Now we're talking. Um, which, 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 of course, is, um, you know, it's a view uh, that, that I sympathize with, certainly do. But the reason that I am a supporter of the fair tax, which I could get into a little bit more uh, detail on, on exactly what that is, because I think there's quite a bit of confusion out there on, on exactly what the fair tax plan represents. Um, and, and, you know, it takes a little while to kind of explain all the nuances of it. But at, at the end of the day, the reason that I support the national consumption tax is because it's a strategy for incremental tax reform that can start to head in the direction of volunteerism um, that I think that you would uh, agree with and subscribe to, John. But um, that takes an incremental step in that direction, has a lot of benefits 
in the short term. It's something that really can be implemented in the short term, uh, and it um, and it provides a, a level of visibility to the true level of taxation that we all kind of suffer under today, which is concealed behind this curtain of our 73,000 page, you know, internal revenue code. Mm -hmm. um, and it does, away, it does away with all of that, brings it right out in the open and everyone can see it and understand exactly what it is that they're paying for with the size of government that we have today. All right. Well, then why don't you give us the elevator pitch real quick on what exactly is the fair tax? How does it work? What would it look like? And what would it look like for the common American? Okay. Um, so the fair tax is a national consumption tax that replaces all of the federal taxes that we currently pay today, including the personal income tax, corporate income tax, uh, payroll tax, uh, capital gains tax, estate tax, and all of those, roll it all into one, um, replace it on a tax for retail goods and services, that is to say consumption, and uh, that flat number that it adds up to is 23%. So uh, if you take all those taxes and generate the exact same amount of revenue for the government, you everyone would pay 23% on any retail purchases for goods and services um, that they make. And the interesting thing about this number is that, you know, for some people it seems shockingly high, for other people it seems shockingly low, uh, others are maybe just not so surprised, but the interesting thing about that, that particular number is that um, it, it, it reveals the kind of true levels of, uh, of, of burden, of the tax burden that we have if you actually flatten that number out and get it an all-inclusive number where everyone's paying into the system. But the, the system that we have today is actually disproportionately affecting the middle class um, because we have a progressive tax code today and also because uh, our tax code is inherently regressive as well um, due to the fact that folks can find exploits and loopholes and you know, all of these different credits and deductions by which I mean sort of rewards and punishments that the government can use to affect and influence our behavior, which in my opinion is, is the, the real uh, core reason behind the type of tax code that we have today. So another key feature of the fair tax, one final point I just want to throw in there, uh, is that it is actually designed to be progressive as well, but in a different way to the um, to the personal income tax that we have today. And the way that it's progressive is through something called a prebate. So instead of uh, overpaying your you know uh, fees or or, or um, rent to the government, and then getting some money back in the form of a rebate at the end of the year, the government in the, under the fair tax plan would actually prepay everyone in the country uh, up to the poverty limit. So basically any spending that anyone has, um, whether you're rich or poor or middle class or whatever, um, any, any spending up to the poverty limit is essentially tax-free. And the government sends you a check at the beginning of the month based on the size of your household, which is, of course, constitutional because that information is gathered uh, under the census rules and uh, as long as you if you spend money only up to the poverty limit then all of that money is tax-free anything you spend above the poverty limit 
um, is tax. All right, Kurt, we're coming up on a break. Uh, Coming up on the other side, I'm going to give some rebuttals, give my opinion, and we'll uh, bat it back and forth. Thanks for coming on. That was a great explanation of the fair tax. We're going to be chatting more about fair tax versus no tax and libertarian strategy towards creating a free society. Stick with us. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? You're listening to the Rise Up Radio Show. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Rise Up Radio! With John Bush. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the Rise Up Radio Show. RiseUpRadio.com is the website where you can download the show's previous podcasts. Check us out every day from 7 to 8 a.m. CST here on LRN. That's the Liberty Radio Network. Broadcasting out of New Hampshire, we broadcast the show here out of Austin, Texas, deep in the heart of Texas, Lone Star Libertopia. Visit LoneStarLibertopia.com if you're interested in geographically concentrating with individuals of a like mind for mutual benefit, to form uh, alternative institutions, to get involved in the political channels if that's your thing. More importantly, just to rely on one another and build some strong, solid community. Check out LoneStarLibertopia.com. We're chatting with Kurt Hildebrand. He's a libertarian. And he's also a supporter of the fair tax as an incremental step towards creating a free society. Uh, he sees it as a practical means of reducing tax and reforming the tax code. Uh, we can all agree that the IRS is a crock of crap, uh, that they're uh, unconstitutional, that it's immoral. Well, let me ask you this real quick, Kurt. Do you think that taxation is theft? Do you agree with that statement? Yeah, John, I'm forced to agree. Um, that taxation, by definition, is theft, yes. Okay, great. Well, that saves a lot of trouble. All right, then, uh, so you're okay with having a little bit of theft, or at least a different type of theft. Does that sit well with you, or, again, is this just a strategic imperative? You're willing to support a measure that actually creates theft. It doesn't take away theft. It may shift a different type of theft, but it's still theft nonetheless. You're okay with that because you see it as a strategic imperative towards uh, gradual incremental steps towards a free society? Yeah, it's purely uh, strategic. So, uh, you know, I'm like you, John. Honestly, I uh, I can imagine a future. Um, I'm hoping for a future. I'm working toward a future where we don't need things like taxation in the, in the sense of, Compulsory um, government extraction of revenue from its from its population, and of course we can also even go down the road and talk about the role of government in general, and which kind of you know lends itself to this conversation. But you know, setting that aside just for the moment, with regard to government and raising revenues, I can imagine ways of doing that that aren't taxes. Um, but we're in a system today which is you know kind of an 800-pound gorilla, and we need to we need to figure out ways to take steps toward that goal, and, that, and that's my view on it. Okay, uh, and that makes sense, and that seems to be the, the view of many folks, uh, especially folks in the Libertarian Party, uh, have adopted more uh, what I would call a conservative approach towards creating a free society. Not that they're conservatives themselves, but that their approach is conservative as compared to radical. But let's we'll get into the strategy here in a second. I just wanted to lay out some of my reasons uh, why I, I believe in no taxes, and I would reject a fair tax, a flat tax, or, of course, the current uh, income tax system. Of course, it starts with the moral argument, which I think Nathan Kleffman at the debate uh, laid out really well. Taxation is theft no matter how you cut it. If it's a private criminal or if it's a public criminal that's claiming to have the support of the majority or claiming to have some sort of shiny badge or public title, it's still immoral for one person to aggress upon another. Uh, we all have self-ownership. 
which I believe is a fundamental tenet of the libertarian philosophy, self-ownership, which of course uh, embodies the non-aggression principle. If we own ourselves, we have a right not to be aggressed upon. Also, if we own ourselves, we own the fruits of our labor, and we have a right to keep the fruits of our labor, that which we take out of the state of nature, mix with our creative ingenuity, and put into productive use. Uh, and it follows if we have the right to keep the fruits of our labor, then we have the right to voluntarily exchange the fruits of our labor uh, with any other individual that's looking to engage in some sort of interaction or exchange for mutual benefit. Uh, and those are the key principles of the libertarian philosophy, self-ownership, non-aggression principle, and voluntary exchange, or some call it free markets, in my opinion. I'm, I'm sure that you would agree uh, with all those statements there. So I think uh, on the surface, of course, uh, we have the moral argument. And strategically speaking, I believe whenever we advocate for some of these half measures, fair tax or flat tax, or a reform or reduction in tax, we give up the moral high ground that we have as libertarians, that we enjoy as libertarians, that sets us apart as libertarians. Uh, the Democrats and Republicans are, are advocating for the reform. The conservatives and the Republicans and many in the Libertarian Party are, are calling for a reduction or a reform. But I think it, it kind of shoots ourselves in the foot, and it raises the question, if we are to achieve our goal of a genuinely free society, how can we ever hope to attain it if we don't straight up call for it and if we don't call taxation what it is as theft? And I think it kind of sends a mixed message to some of our supporters, especially or potential supporters as well, especially young potential radicals, you know, that we stand up, we want to set ourselves apart, but then we come off as sounding you know, like Neil Bortz or like just many of the same conservatives. So let me ask you this. Strategically speaking, don't you think there's value in advocating for the consistent position because we set ourselves apart, uh, we, we, we uh, adhere to the moral argument, and whenever we advocate for a flat tax or a fair tax, aren't we giving up the moral high ground that taxation is theft, and in a sense we're sending the message that we're okay with it because it's gradually getting maybe someday, maybe someday, it's a big maybe, towards our ideal free society. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a great point, John. I really do. And I think actually we're kind of getting to the, the place where we would disagree, where, where the debate, true debate would really start here, I think. Um, because on the one hand, I, you know, I completely agree with you. And I think that we shouldn't give up the moral high ground. And um, I do think that there's a strategic and a tactical um, advantage to be gained from continuing to repeat this messaging and, and to stick to our positions on this, if this is what we philosophically and ideologically believe, if, if this is what we can philosophically support, you know, reasoning from first principles and so forth. I'm in favor of all of that. And I think that where we disagree is on what then is the strategy or what then is the solution for, um, for our real problems of today? Because today we're in an economic mess. We're in, a, we're in a, a mess of government and taxation, and we have a whole lot of problems that are, that are really in front of our face and impacting us. And so my question is, what then will we do about that? Would we, would we just talk about um, philosophical uh, principles, or, or would we get out there and, and take some real action? And my position is that we can both talk about our philosophical pr principles and be uncompromising to them while taking real action at the same time. Okay, so in my opinion, the, the genuine libertarian method and strategy ought to be the, the dissolution of the state entirely. As Murray Rothbard said, the dissolving of the public sector into the private sector, whether that's through markets, businesses, which uh, fulfill people's needs and wants, uh, through economic exchange, or whether it's through communities like gift, uh, gift economies, barter economies, or even mutual aid in its various forms. 
community watch groups, uh, militias where people organize for mutual self-defense. So I would argue that uh, the system isn't worth saving. And they've ran up a bunch of debt. They've tried to to put bailouts out. They've tried to increase the national debt and put it on the backs of future generations. I would argue that we ought to take the consistent uh, route and reject that entirely and say, look, there are economic problems, but those problems come from a government that's using uh, non-market forces in order to carry its out its functions, its functions which are in large part impressed upon the people. Many people don't want to participate in the war. They don't want to participate in NSA's prism, but since government has a monopoly on coercion, they, they go ahead with it anyway. And government having any form of tax scheme, they're going to be able to, central planners are going to carry out whatever edicts they want. We know that democracy doesn't work. We know it doesn't matter how you vote. So I would argue that Let's let the government shrivel up and die. And in the meantime, if we genuinely want to create a free society, the the route that I would take is the creation of alternative institutions that are based on mutually beneficial voluntary association rather than coercive hierarchies, which, it's, which it seems like the flat tax and the fair tax would continue to subsist, this coercion and hierarchy, which I see at the root of the problem. I don't think the root of the problem is the type of tax system we have or how uh, far away it is from, from being fair. The root of the problem is the existence of an institution that allows individuals to force people to do things against their own ends. And if we really want to undermine that system and ultimately replace it with one that's based on the philosophy of liberty, then we ought to go ahead and build those institutions now that are based on voluntary association, not coercion. And in doing so, the economy can continue to crumble as long as we're creating our new economies uh, I think that we'll be able to replace it and show the masses that there's another way of doing things. We're coming up on a break. I'm going to let you get the first word on the other side, respond to that. Uh, essentially, if the economy's in shambles, it's because the government's interfering. So why not create an economy free of government interference? Maybe easier said than done, but I think it's a better path towards a free society. This is the Rise Up Radio Show. We're chatting with Kurt Hildebrand, having a discussion on the strategy behind low tax versus no tax. We'll be right back, folks. Rise up. Radio. You're listening to the Rise Up Radio Show. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the Rise Up Radio Show. Every Monday through Friday from 7 to 8 a.m. CST here on LRN.FM. I want to thank you for tuning in and remind you you can get the podcast of the previous shows at RiseUpRadio.com. We're chatting with Kurt Hildebrand. He is the chair of the Hayes County Libertarian Party. Uh, the website for the Libertarian Party of Texas is lptexas.org. Kurt, do you want to give out the website, or is there a Facebook page or anything that people can get linked in with the Hayes County Libertarian Party? No, sadly, no. Your best bet is to go to LP Texas for now. We're trying to get the website and, and all that stuff booted up for Hayes County as we speak. Right on. Yeah, the it's. The, I think there's a lot of organizing going on at the county level for the party, so kudos to you for taking on that task and uh, and, and building up the, the party down there. I'm not a big fan of the LP. Uh, I am a fan of people getting involved, so I think it's better that people are involved with the LP than not being involved at all. And one of my critiques of the LP is is that they seem to have abandoned the radical roots and have more hopped in with the idea like let's let's make our arguments a little more conservative so we can appeal to more voters so maybe we could get elected. Um, I think we'll save that for another debate, but I just want to give a quick kudos for the LP for being there, for helping people to organize, helping people to feel like they have a place in the movement, and for putting on this debate recently. Sounds like it was a great turnout and a wonderful discussion to have, but uh, we were talking on the break. Maybe we can have a debate on LP strategy later, but let me go ahead and give you an opportunity to respond. I was bringing up the idea 
that if we do want to create a free society, why not work towards creating the free society right now? The economy is in shambles. And the last thing that I want to do, because we have a state-backed economy and the public sector is largely in shambles as well, is reform the system so the, the economy and the government can keep getting revenue. I think the best thing we could do is create our own micro local economies, link those up through confederations and exchange agreements and try to create the free society that we all desire right now rather than waiting for this gradualism approach. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's, again, it's a great conversation starter and it's a fantastic point. I want to say real quickly, too, that, you know, as I'm talking about my views here um, on your show, I'm not representing necessarily the platform of the Libertarian Party, right? These are my own personal views, and the Libertarian Party's got a broad spectrum of different folks in it, folks just like yourself, John, um, all the way to folks kind of on the on the other end of the spectrum, um, you know, that, that are a little bit more um, working within the political system. So I just wanted to say that real quick. These are my own views, but as it pertains to that, um, you know, my answer would be yes, and let's do a whole bunch of other things too. Um, you know, I have a project that I'm that I'm working on right now, John. That's very, very similar to your uh, family farm. Um, back in 2009, I started this what we call the Spooky Action Ranch project out here in Wimberley, Texas, which is an independent uh, experiment in sustainability, very, very much like your your family farm. And we've been working toward food independence and off-grid sustainability and personal choice and responsibility and independence. So I, I think we should be doing all of that. I think we should be pursuing agorist strategies. I think that we should be pursuing working within the political system to the, to the extent that we can. I think that we should be taking our energies in a lot of different directions. And the reason is because um, as I look at it, our society, our economy, our government, our system of taxation, like a freight train that is just barreling toward a cliff. And, you know, it seems like your solution um, is, is kind of like laying track out in front of the train to make it turn so that it doesn't go off the cliff. And I'm saying, yes, we need to do that, absolutely. And we need to pull on that emergency brake as fast as we can because, John, I'm afraid that we're not going to lay the track fast enough and we're going to go off the cliff. And I know that there are some people that are advocates of that that say, hey, look, you know, it's going to be worse before it gets better. Some people say it's going to, there's going to be hard times, but it's necessary. You got to, you got to go through it. And I say, isn't there a way that we could try to avoid that? Does it have to be traumatic? Does it have to be catastrophic? Do a bunch of people have to get hurt so that we can make effect change and make things better? And my view is that we should at least give the other option a try. Let's try to transform from within. Let's also try and build the other thing in parallel. Let's do all of these things. Let's try to change minds because Frankly, John, there's a whole lot of people out there that that, that don't think like us as it sits today, and we've got sure. to take some time to change those minds. Sure. I, I believe that uh, we don't need the masses or the majority on our side in order to have freedom for ourselves. There are some people that are going to be status their whole lives and that don't that will uh, skirt the, the personal responsibility that comes with genuine freedom. And to pick up on your train analogy, I wouldn't advocate for laying more track in the front. I would advocate for us to decouple ourselves from the train, to, to hop off the train, and it may hurt whenever we hit the ground, but to, to prepare ourselves to be able to take that impact when we decouple ourselves from the train that I would see as a collective or a social contract. And one thing about trains is you don't have a choice as to where you go. The, the choice has been predetermined and pre-laid for you, and I think that fits well with the analogy, too, with the state and with the government. There's a limited number of choices that you're allowed and you're granted, even those 
uh, freedoms that were apparently secured in the Constitution. There's a lot of stuff that is interventionist in the Constitution and completely antithetical to the ideals of individual liberty, self-ownership, and the free market. So I would argue, let's decouple ourselves from the train. Let's hop off of the train. Let's build a new type of transportation altogether that isn't dependent on one track where we don't have a choice on where to go. And here's a problem I have with the fair tax, because uh, you say that it'll help get us down the road towards a more free society. But in a sense, it'll also track all the purchases and the exchanges that every single person engages in. Isn't this sure? Sure, there's a massive IRS bureaucracy that'll be taken away. But tracking every single person person's purchase I can't imagine the bureaucracy or technology that's going to go into that. And on top of that, I don't want the government to know everything that I'm buying or purchasing. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think that's a, um, that, that's a misunderstanding of how the fair tax would work. So uh, the, the way that it's not a – the fair tax doesn't operate at the personal level anymore at all. It just operates at the retail level. So basically you're a retailer every month. You send your collected receipts to the government. The government looks at those receipts and says, great, send me 23% of your sales. Boom, done. It's the simplest thing in the world. It doesn't totally eliminate the IRS, but it will cut it by you know, 99.9%. It just becomes basically a, um, you know, a point-of-sale revenue collection service. But to, to your point about tracking, I mean, gosh, do you use a credit card? Well, actually, probably you don't. <laughs> but um, you know, a, a, a lot of people do, and all those sales are already tracked and in databases everywhere anyway. I think that's kind of a different topic of discussion, privacy and surveillance and so forth. Um, short answer, though, Fairtax gives you back a lot of your privacy that you don't have today because you have to disclose all of your financial records to the government every single year. Mm-hmm. All that goes away. Yeah, that is terrible. Um, and, and I think that the privacy argument is totally germane to the discussion. And, of course, uh, you know, there's a way that it ought to be, and there's a way that you advocate for it. But to advocate for an institution that gives the government the power to tax 23% of all Americans' consumption above the poverty level of expenditures, uh, how do you know that the government isn't just going to bump that 23% all the way up to 50%? And how do you know that the government isn't going to use it as a means to issue everyone a purchasing card to so they can track everyone because it seems like you're just that's why that's why I always advocate for the consistent form and for the consistent position because we leave out any opportunity for the government to meddle or to expand or to take us further down the road to serfdom. So I guess my question is and we got about 3 minutes left. Um my question is just answer this one quickly if you can then we'll go ahead and give some final thoughts. Uh, how can you trust the government to have this power through the fair tax even though you may think it's better than the IRS? How can you trust the government to not continue to expand it and turn it into something that the advocates of it in the first place uh, don't support. I, I don't, I don't trust the government. Um, but I mean, again, we already give them this power in a much, much, you know, sneakier and, and more insidious way. I'm saying, let's make it less sneaky, less insidious. Let's at least make it better. And to your point about, well, what if they jack the, the rate up to 50%? What if they jack it up to 65%? Great. Wow, then the people would really be able to see every single time they buy a cup of coffee or a donut or whatever it is, uh, exactly how much they're paying for government. And I think it would shock people. So, no, I mean, I think it, at least it brings things out in the open. It drags the monster out into the light where you can see it. And right now we can't even see it. We don't even know how much we're being taxed. Right on. All right, well, uh, go ahead and give me your final thoughts, your overview on our discussion. Uh, if you could take just about a minute on that. Uh, tell us again why you support the fair tax and why you think it's the best way for to create a free society. And then uh, I'll give the final words and we'll end up the show. Okay. Um, you know, 
I, I didn't necessarily want to um, give myself give the impression to myself that I'm just a drumbeater for the fair tax. That's really not it. I do think that we need to try to reform taxation in parallel to doing a lot of these other things that, that we've kind of talked about on your show here today. And if I had to pick a method of tax reform, one that's actually uh, available, you know, one that's actually been introduced into um, our parliament, you know, it's, it's something that can actually be implemented today, I would pick the fair tax just because I, I do think that it, um, it really takes very, very measurable steps toward volunteerism. You can decide how much tax you want to pay through, uh, through your consumption and through, um, you know, through eliminating all of this kind of reward and punishment system that we get from the uh, Internal Revenue Service. All right, so Kurt. Yep. Thank you Thanks. so much for uh, participating. Great discussion. Of course, my opinions always. Let's end the state now, create the alternative institutions, none of these half measures. I appreciate the discourse, appreciate what you're doing. Keep it up, Kurt. This has been the Rise Up Radio Show. Happy 4th. Stay free.